I'm glad that we can open it together this morning. And what I'm about to say is not to uh, sound overly old-fashioned, and the Lord must be smiling on me. I've got two cups of coffee up here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. This is what, Lord knows what you need when you need it. Amen. Um, but uh, I also, uh, a couple things. One, uh, for those that are noticing we're not starting until a little bit late, all I can say is newborn life is different, okay? And all I can ask is that you be patient with us and gracious, and uh, we appreciate that. The other thing I'll say is this. Um, I, I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful for the ability that, uh, as we experienced a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night, couldn't make it to church, and we just live-streamed from the house uh, uh, and got to have service, if you will. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that if I'm on the go, I can look up a Bible verse on my phone, that kind of thing. But I, I want to say this. So the Bible says, seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read. And there's nothing like flipping those pages. There's nothing like being able to just hold it in your hand. Uh, and, and as your heavenly father just sitting with you, he wants to feed you this morning. Uh, he wants you to be full. It's not just a matter of, well, we've got John and we got this and we got that. The Lord wants to make sure that you're getting fed the word of God today and that you are understanding what he wants for your life. So I, I pray that you get that. Look at John chapter number two. John chapter number two, and uh, here in John chapter two, we're talking about the temple, but we're kind of shifting. We're not talking about the, the building, the, the brick and mortar, if you will, um, but rather we're talking about uh, the temple of, of the body, and uh, look at, at John chapter two. We're coming toward the end of this chapter, uh, John chapter two, and look down, if you would, at verse number uh, 17. And his disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, that Jesus just got done <laughs> overthrowing the uh, table of the money changers and kicking out those that were selling doves and making his father's house a house of merchandise. We talked a lot about that last week and how it's a picture of your life and how it's a picture of your body and, and how, listen, your body should be dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he bought you. He has redeemed you. And, and as such, the Lord desires for your... Now, this is a word that I feel like anymore is kind of like looked at with kind of, I don't know, I don't know where we're going here, kind of a look. You ever get that, that sense where when you say a certain word, people kind of go, okay, what, what are you, where are you going right now? When you say the word holy, people get kind of weird. Yeah. This is a holy Bible. You are saved by a holy Savior, all right? It, it's the Holy Spirit that resides inside of you. And the Bible says that God has called us to be a holy people, all right, so, so we are to be different and to be separate uh, from the elements of this world. Talked a little, a little bit about that Wednesday night. Um, and, and of course, the purpose of separation is not just, look at me, I'm separated. If there's anything I would say that is one of the biggest blights of, of fundamentalism in the last 50 years is people getting this idea that because I've, I've got a, a certain haircut and a certain suit or uh, clothes on, that that makes me holy. That does not make you holy <laughs> at all. <laughs> As a matter of fact, some of the meanest devils I ever met in my life wore a suit, huh? <laughs> honestly. Uh, so it's not about that at all. It's, it's about the inside and letting God change you from the inside out. And the Lord does, but the Lord does desire holiness. Here's the reaction from, I would say, modern Christians today is this idea that, well, uh, because of, of how people were legalistic back then, I'm going to go way over here and holiness doesn't matter. That's, 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 that's hogwash, guys. That is not truth. You know, you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. You don't. You need to learn to say, as a matter of fact, we've got a baby now, and these days, I, you know, Lacey goes, oh, it's too hot, it's too hot. I don't throw the baby out, I throw the water out, amen? 
And, and, so, and so when it comes to holiness, don't throw that concept out, out of the window, guys. You are to be a holy people. Your life, your mind should be holy. Your heart should be clean. All right? The things that come out of your mouth should, be, should reflect holiness from the Lord. Um, and so I, I think about this all the time. Our God could have chosen to be any kind of God. He is God. God can be whatever he wants, right? Is that fair? I think so. Um, and, I mean, we live in 2022 where everyone thinks they can be whatever they want. A man can be a cow or a woman can be a dog or whatever, you know. And so, and so God can be whatever he wants. You know what God chose to be? Holy. And you better be thankful for that. Because if he wasn't holy, he would have gone back on his word when he said he was going to save you. You know, people do all the time. Once they realize that, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way: when a man's uh, date, when a, a guy's dating a, a young lady, and you know he's head over heels for her, you know he's romantically, madly in love with her, and, and then they get married, and and he realizes she's a person. I'm serious. A guy just goes, "Oh, she hot. I like. I want. She's beautiful. I love you." Right? And then you realize she's a person, and then you go, "Okay, I'm seeing her faults, and she's seeing yours." And then th- and that, that, there's that honeymoon period, then shortly after that, that first year to two of marriage is kind of awkward because you're kind of figuring things out, you know. And, 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 but, but you say, what's the problem there? The problem there is you're figuring out, okay, I'm learning things about you. God knows everything about you, and he still loves you. And the reason for that is because he's holy, all right? The reason for that is because the Bible says he has magnified his word above his own name. And so when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ cleansing the temple, uh, obviously, it's a great picture, not only of what God, what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do at the, at the second coming. We talked a lot about that prophetically and doctrinally, but practically, devotionally in your life. It's a picture of the Lord going through the rooms of your house, going spiritually, the rooms of your house spiritually, in your temple, going, what about this? Why is this here? Uh, you, you may or may not remember it. Don't worry, we're going to move. I can tell everyone's a little nervous in the story. We're going to get back to the text in a moment, but um, uh, over there in the book of uh, Nehemiah, I believe it is, uh, and I'm just drawing a blank on the man's name if someone thinks of it. Uh, they made a, a little dwelling place for a man that should not have been there. Was it Gresham the Arabian? I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but there was a, a, a space in the temple that when the people of God got, I'll just say this, they got a little backslidden, got uh, away from the Lord. Uh, what they did is they allowed someone that had no business living inside the temple. They made a spot for him to live there. Now, it's one thing to find something in your, in your life that shouldn't be there. It's another thing to make a spot for it. Right. You, you hear what I'm saying? It, and so what happens, though, if you're not careful, is after when things show up in your life, if you don't take care of them after a while, you'll start making room for it. And so what the Lord did is he walks in there and he goes, this doesn't belong here and this doesn't belong here and this doesn't belong here. And I'm sure, I guarantee you, I guarantee you there were people alive back then that went, oh, but the Messiah would never do that. And he was the Messiah. And, and so what you see here is a great picture of who Jesus Christ really is. You know who he is? He is loving, absolutely. He is merciful, absolutely. But he's also holy. Uh, and so his disciples in verse 17, they see that the zeal of his house has eaten him up. It really got to him. Uh, and, and so before we move on to verse 18, let me just give you one more thought. What eats at you? What keeps you up at night? What is it that you're hung up on? Is it God's glory or is it some other thing? Now, we're humans. We've got issues, and we've got bills and problems and kids and newborns that won't sleep and all the rest of it. We've got issues in life, and, 
things keep us up at night, right? But, but uh, let uh, those, those, those extraordinary things aside, on a moment-by-moment moment basis, what does your mind focus on? What is eating at you? What is it you can't stop thinking about? You know what it was for Jesus Christ? His Father's glory. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Look at verse 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them. Now, when they said, uh, you, you, thou doest these things, remember context. One of the first rules that those in discipleship, you might remember this. And by the way, we have it today. And we also have the online class uh, Tuesday night. But you might remember one of the, the first uh, 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 laws or rules, if you will, of studying your Bible is context. All right. Now, let me make sure I got a black marker. OK, good. Uh, for all of you. Uh, now, look here at New Heights Baptist Church. It's so good to see you, sweetheart. Been a long time uh, uh, here at New Heights Baptist Church. We are not worried about uh, knowing the Greek. All right. Or knowing the Hebrew. We are worried about knowing the original Spanish. Amen. <laughs> all right. So I. I mean, just put that out and go Spanish, right? So you, you say, why? Because that's easy for me, all right? So, so think, now, all joking aside, the word I'm going to show you is actually not a, a, the, the root of it's a Latin root, but um, it's, it's this right here, all right? So any of you Spanish speakers, what is con? With, right? So the word context, contexto, right, context, is with text, so when you don't look at the, in other words, you don't look at the entirety of a passage of Scripture, and you take a verse out and you try to isolate it, you can make a verse say almost anything you want it to say. All right? You can do, as a matter of fact, a lot of people do that today. All right, here, here's a good one. Uh, judge not that you be not judged. All right? So, so that means never judge, right? Is that what that means? All right? That, that's how the modern person, they take a verse, they take it out of context in Matthew 7, all right, because the same person that said, judge not, that you be not judged, is the one that says, judge righteous judgment. <laughs> and in the rest of that, of that text, the, if you look at the entirety of the text, in the rest of that text, he talks about making sure that you remove the thing out of your eye that's keeping you from seeing things right in your own life. Judge yourself first, and then you can look out to help your brother. But they all forget that part. You say, why? Because they take it out of context. All right, so when we look at uh, the, the fact that it says, why doest thou these things, all right? Or uh, seeing that thou doest thou these things, all right? The Pharisees are asking Jesus Christ for a sign. Now, I'm not going to go into this a whole lot this morning, but uh, remember this. Uh, the Bible teaches us that, that signs are given to prove that the word of God is true by the messenger that's giving the word, all right? Now, when you've got the entire book in your lap, you no longer need the sign because it's in the book, <laughs> All right. And, and that's that's the blessing of having the Bible. Uh, but but as as the Lord was transitioning from Old Testament to New Testament, from dealing with the nation of Israel to dealing with the church, there were a lot of those supernatural things going on when the Messiah would come. And we talked about this before as well. This is very important to get a hold of. There are two kingdoms spoken of in your Bible. There is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They are not the same. If you uh, look at a lot of modern Bibles, they'll literally take them and just make them all one thing. All right, the word, you know how I know this isn't the same thing? Because heaven is spelled H-E-A-V-E-N, and God is spelled G-O-D. So you can see why. You don't have to learn the original languages to understand they're not the same. All right, so uh, these are two different kingdoms. This one is a physical, literal kingdom with Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. This one is a spiritual kingdom 
that you enter through a spiritual birth. Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. Now, now the reason why I mention this is this, because when they ask about a sign, they're looking for the Messiah. They're trying to pin down, are you, are you really him? Are you really him? And so Jesus gives them a sign. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 18. Uh, it's uh, verse number 19, rather. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, you've got the advantage of having the Bible in your lap and understanding what he's talking about. They're looking at this completely different, all right? Uh, and a matter of fact, the Pharisees oftentimes, it, it's so interesting to me how often the Pharisees will will confuse the, the physical with the spiritual. And it's easy for me to get on to them and go, ah, stupid Pharisees. But the reason they do that is because everything up to that point is physical. They meet in a physical temple. They meet in a physical tabernacle. They have a, a physical priesthood with physical sacrifices. But you as a New Testament believer, it's different for you. You don't bring a lamb here on Sunday and slit its throat and let the blood out. You know what you do? You offer yourself on the altar spiritually, right? You are to offer up a spiritual sacrifice up to the Lord. Uh, you are a spiritual priesthood, the Bible says in 1 Peter. So as it relates to the conflict here, the Pharisees are thinking physical temple. Jesus isn't thinking that. He's not referring to that at all. Uh, look what happens in verse 20. Then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. All right, he spake of the temple of his body. And we're going to dig into that for a little bit, but I want you to look at Mark chapter 14. And the reason I want you to look there real quick, this is... Uh, you know how you learn the Bible? By going from one verse to another. That's how you learn it. And, and as you go to Mark chapter 14, um, this is toward the uh, end of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And uh, he's actually being, uh, uh, he's on trial in Mark 14. And I want you to see what the religious leadership of his day had to say uh, about this concept about the temple of his body. Look at Mark 14, verse number 56. Mark 14, verse 56. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. Mark fourteen fifty six. look at verse 57. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple. Now watch the next couple words here. That is made with hands. Did he say that? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, that, that phrase there, made with hands, is very important. You might remember... Uh, uh, let's see here, it would be Daniel chapter, I believe it's chapter 12, all right? But over in the, in the uh, Old Testament, when it's talking about the prophetic return of Jesus Christ, it talks about a stone, right, uh, that comes down and destroys the... the I'm, look, I'm not an artist. If you want, like, you know, art, go online and look up, you know, Chalk Talks by Peter Ruckman or the other... There's another guy... Uh, uh, Brother Campbell's uh, father-in-law. There's some good guys. I'm not that guy, okay? I'm going to do stick figures, and you're going to be okay with that, all right? All right, here we go. So this right here is Nebuchadnezzar's image. Are we okay with that? All right. And so the stone comes down and, and crashes and destroys the kingdoms that are here at the time that the Antichrist reigns in the Great Tribulation. Well, what, what, the way that Daniel describes that stone is like this. It's a stone cut without hands. You say, why? Well, because it's a supernatural thing. It, God did it. It's not done by human nature. All right? So here the Pharisees are saying, he said he would destroy the temple that was made with hands, and he didn't say that. He spoke of the temple of his body. 
Do you see how quick it is that people can twist someone's words and make them say something they didn't say? Do you realize why you should take the Bible literally? Because when you start adding and subtracting things, you become God. All right. Now, here's another one. Look at uh, Colossians chapter two uh, about this without hands thing. This is not in the notes, but I thought it might be uh, a little curious. Colossians chapter two. Do you know why when you get saved, uh, if you're saved this morning, you realize you can't lose your salvation, which is pretty awesome, because here's the deal. If you could lose it, you would. And so would I. All right. I don't say that authoritatively over you. I'm telling you, we would all lose it together. All right. You'd lose it in traffic in Denver. Amen. Amen. And amen. Some of you sanctified, bring your Bible to church, dressed all nice. And on Monday morning in traffic, right? Yeah. Yeah. No preacher, not me. Uh, Look at Colossians chapter two and look, if you would, at verse number 10. And ye are complete in him. You know, uh, you don't have to be the prettiest girl in the room to, to be important. Young ladies, you don't. Uh, gentlemen, I guess no one agrees with me on that one. Okay. Uh, la- Pastor, the ladies are like, Pastor, just leave that one alone. Um, young men, you don't have to be the strongest man in the room physically to, to be important. You're complete in him. The old song we sing around here, Complete in Thee, that's a great song. Uh, the Bible says, you are complete in him, all right, which is the head of all principality and power. Watch this. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made how? You say, why? Because it's not physical. It's not a physical circumcision. It's a spiritual one where God takes the, the old man and the new man and separates them. He takes the soul from the flesh and cuts them apart from each other and goes, okay, flesh, you're going to be a mess until you die. And unless you submit to my will, you're going to make a mess of things. But soul, you're going to be clean from now till eternity. Thank God for that. All right. Now, now the point is this. It, it is, it, it is a uh, circumcision made without hands. That stone that falls and destroys the kingdoms on this earth, that stone is the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. He is made without hands. Why? Because he's made of a virgin, as the Bible says in Galatians and in Romans chapter 1. So the idea is this. The idea is when they say, go back to Mark 14 real quickly. When they said what they said, they were pinning something on the Lord that he never said. They twisted his words. Because the Lord spoke very clearly about what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about the, the physical temple. And here's, here's what I would say. Uh, I would say this. When you're looking for a church, don't look to see how nice the building is. Now, now, look, there's nothing wrong with having a nice building. I think if God gives you a building, it ought to be taken care of. I don't believe that you're spiritual because you're a slob. All right? I don't believe that at all. H- however, I, I will say that, that modern Christians go so far the other way. It, it, the first thing is how nice is the building. And, you know, can I get rid of my kids for another hour during Sunday morning service? And can I, I yeah, all that kind of, what, how's it going to work for me? And, and how, how nice is it for me? And the Lord goes, no, it's not about you. It's about me. It's, can I enjoy my temple? <laughs> all right, look, look what happens in Mark 14. Uh, and again, notice what is said here uh, toward the end of the chapter, verse number 56, uh, verse 57. Uh, and there arose certain bare false witnesses against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. He didn't say that. You know what they're trying to say? They're trying to say that Jesus Christ said, if you can destroy, uh, I'll destroy the temple, right? The temple will be destroyed, and in three days I'll build it by myself. I don't need you guys. It has nothing to do with what he's talking about. He was talking about the temple of his body. He's talking about the fact that he's going to die for our sins and be buried and plant his temple there in that tomb but three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And no man takes his life from him. He lays it down. 
All right? And, and now, the reason why I point this out is because this whole thing about the temple of his body was a big deal. They called him a deceiver over it. Look at Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew 27. Here's the other lesson. Another practical lesson is this. Sometimes people just want to hear what they want to hear. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up. I've preached messages before, and afterwards someone will text me and go, or call me or, or meet me in the, at the outside and go, Pastor, man, now I know I really need to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, no. That was the opposite of what I just said. Well, how did you get that? You know, uh, look, at, look at Matthew 27 and look at verse number uh, 64. Matthew 27, 64. Uh, verse, I'll go back a little bit. Verse 62. Now, the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said. Look what they called him. Now, I, I believe this, honestly. I don't think you can be neutral. I don't think you can say Jesus Christ is a good person, but he wasn't who he said he was. I think either he is a liar, he is a deceiver, or he's crazy, or he's who he said he was. Those are your options. If I stood up here today and said, Thomas, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If I said, Felix, I'm the way, the truth, and life, shoot me, man. I'm not the way, the truth, and life, (laughs) right? Uh, So so I'd either be crazy or I'd be lying. They call him a deceiver. That was the position that they took, all right? Uh, and, and look what they say here. Why they call him a deceiver? While he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. You know, it's funny when they went to accuse him of stuff and to try to get him uh, killed, how they twisted his words. And af- after the fact, they're like, oh, yeah, now we remember what he said. Yeah, you got it. You just heard what you heard. You just heard what you wanted to hear to get your point across to someone to convince them that Jesus wasn't who he said he was at the time that he was being crucified. And now that it's after the fact, you're going, hey, just in case, just in the event that he is who he said he was, let's do this. And they set a watch and they put Roman soldiers there to watch the tomb. All right, look at Mark 15. Go back to Mark 15. You know, you know what you're learning here? Take God at his word. And don't add to what he said when it's convenient to you. Uh, look at Mark 15 and verse number 28. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. They made a joke out of it. Well, I got, I got news for you. No one was laughing. They, those guys weren't laughing three days later when he rose from the dead. Uh, and you know who got the last laugh? The Lord did. You may go, you mean last laugh? Literally, I, I think literally the last laugh. The Bible says in Colossians that he spoiled principalities and powers. I think, the Lord had, I think the Lord enjoyed rising from the dead. I do. I don't think it was just like, oh, you know, like, I, I think there was spiritual stuff going on. And I, I think he's going, you believe me now? You believe me now? You know, look, look, who, I mean, I, if I was, I, I, honestly, I believe the Lord, it, it says he spoiled them. I mean, maybe he had a little bit of fun. Maybe he said, hey, who's laughing now? You guys are real quiet right now. You guys ha- talked a big game three days ago. And I was hanging on that cross. I'm not, you're not laughing anymore, are you? You know why? Because he proved to be who he said he was. And I, I'm thankful that if it wasn't for that, none of us would be here right now. Now, uh, look at First Corinthians chapter 6, talking about the temple uh, of his body. Now, look, the, the moment you get saved, the Lord starts to work in your life, and the work that he starts is conforming you into the image of his son. Uh, the Bible says uh, over there, in Ro- matter of fact, uh, take a pit stop, go to Romans 8, so you can see what I'm talking about. 
Uh, Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans chapter 8, and look if you would at verse uh, number 29. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be saved and to be in heaven for all eternity. Is that what it says? Nope. Uh, predestination has nothing to do with your salvation as much as the fact that once you choose him, you don't decide how you end up in eternity. He does. He has predestined that for you. All right. So it says here in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. All right. So in eternity, you know what you're going to do? You're going to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ forever and ever. You know what the Lord's trying to do in your life right now? He's trying to start that work. He, he started that work now the moment you got saved. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I would say, though. Uh, the Lord shouldn't have to pull permits on his own building. We're, we're looking at uh, getting into a building and pulling permits and all that stuff. And, you, you know, the Lord owns us. He shouldn't have to pull permits to do any work in our lives. Uh, but sometimes, every once in a while, we kind of get in the way, don't we? And so the idea is this. The idea is for all eternity, my, my, my soul is going to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. Right now, that's exactly what the Lord wants to do in my life. How does he do that? Well, when he was on this earth, he referred to his own body as a what? As a temple. All right, so you know what he wants your body to be? The same thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And look, if you would, at verse number 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We need to pray for Olivia. She, all she does is sleep in church all the time. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 6, look at you, what at verse number 19. What? Know you not that your body is the what? Temple. temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And look at this last phrase. I think, in all honesty, this bothers the Christian that doesn't want to live for the Lord. You're not your own. Amen. And if I'm honest, there are moments I don't like that phrase. Who are you to tell me? You know who he is to tell me? He's God. <laughs> He's my Savior. He redeemed me. He bought me with something that was priceless with his blood. It says here, bought with a price, verse 20, therefore glorify God in your what? And in your what? You know why he doesn't mention your soul? Because your soul automatically does that. Your soul has Jesus Christ inside of you. But he mentions your body and your spirit because your spirit can be affected by spirits around you. And your body is what you use to submit to the Holy Spirit. And so, you know what you are? You're, you're a temple. Look at Second Peter chapter number 1. Now, you might remember in the Old Testament that uh, the Lord uh, did, the, uh, did what he did with the, the nation of Israel. As far as the temple is concerned, he kind of did it in stages. And uh, the Lord's a great builder, and that's oftentimes how he does things. He knows that you can't always go from here to here overnight. So he does it over time. And so what the Lord did in the Old Testament is uh, he met with his people on top of a mountain. You say, why? Because they didn't have a temple. So you know what God did? God shows up to Moses, and, he, and, and the people of Israel sit at the bottom of that mountain. They know that up there is the presence of God. And then after that, after Moses meets with the Lord and gets that revelation from God, Moses comes down. He comes down with instructions for something called the tabernacle. You know what the tabernacle was? It was God's don't want to be sacrilegious here, but it was God's mobile home in the Old Testament. All right? If you're too good to live in a trailer or a mobile home, just understand that that's what God likens your body to right now. All right? And, and so God in the Old Testament, you know what he did? He covered that tabernacle. You learned a little bit about that a few weeks ago. Brother Tim did a great job uh, presenting some things about the tabernacle. 
But you know what he covered that thing with? With ugly goat skins. You know, you know, let's just be honest with you. The clothing sometimes isn't the most important thing. God's trying to show us this thing's going to wear out. And just like they had to replace the goat skins over and over and over and over, eventually this is going to fade. What matters is what's on the inside. All right. Now, this is really hard, really hard to get across to young people. Uh, whenever I talk to young people and try to tell them, you're gonna, your life's short, your life's short, it, it, they're like, yeah, 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 I've heard that. Yeah, 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 I've heard that. And then you become middle-aged and you're like, life's short. Right. And then you're you're 75 and you're looking going, where did it all go? Right. And and then, you know, before you know, it, you're taking your last breath and your life is literally flashing before your eyes. And you can't remember ages one to five. You barely remember anything after 10 years, you know, before 10 years of age when you're that old. And your, your life just what is it? It's it, your your the Bible says your days are as a hand breath. Like from here to here. All right. Your life is a vapor that appears for a little while and vanisheth away. And so God reminds us that the outside is going to fade. What matters is on the inside. So don't spend, listen, should you take care of your body? Absolutely. If you take care of your body, can you live a longer life for Jesus Christ? Potentially. And serve him with your life? Potentially. Absolutely. That's a fact. However, however, if you say this is the most important thing, you get it all mixed up. This, isn't the mo- this right here is not the most important thing. The most important thing is what's going on the inside. Now, what I've learned is this. What goes on the inside eventually works its way out. So I some people come to church and they sit down. I'm going to move this if that's okay. I don't want to move your, that's it. You never touch a woman's purse, especially if it's not your wife's, amen? <laughs> but I, I, I have, I've seen people come to church and just kind of, <laughs> bless me if you can, preacher. <laughs> you know, I cannot bless you and it ain't going to be me. It's your blesser is broken, amen? <laughs> um, and, and you say, you say what, what, what are you getting at? Well, the problem is what's going on the inside all week. The problem's not the, that's just a symptom of what's going on the inside. All right, so what God cares about is you understanding that, that it's, it's, it's what's going on the inside. Now, what goes on the inside eventually works its way out. Uh, uh, last week, a young lady got saved. Uh, uh, Tindana got saved, and that was a blessing. Uh, and one of the things we talked about was the fact that, listen, there's this connection between the heart and the mouth. And that's why Romans 10 talks about in reference to salvation. All right, it's the heart believing and in, 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 in receiving righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In other words, what goes on the inside of your temple and on the inside of your tabernacle, eventually does have an effect on the outside. It isn't that the outside does not matter at all. The outside should be a testimony of something, but the outside is only a reflection. It can only be as good as what's going on in here. All right? And you can fake it for a while, but you can't do it forever. All right? And, and so the Lord says, look at Second Peter chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 14. Uh, you say, what is the tabernacle? Well, it was a temporary dwelling for the Lord. All right. You say, why is that? Why is that important? What's it a picture of? Well, you know what? You know what your body is right now? It's a temporary dwelling for the Lord. Uh, You know what? When you die, God doesn't die with you, with your body. The real you, Christ in you, the hope of glory is transported to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. All right. So you got a a temporary uh, tabernacle, a temporary house where God dwells right now. Look what Peter says in verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my what? even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. All right, so your body is likened to a tabernacle. That is a, a temporary uh, dwelling of the Lord. Then it's also likened to the temple. All right, that was a more permanent fixture, if you will, is where God said, I'll meet with you. All right, but even that was destroyed. All right, and so you know what that's a picture of? Again, one day you're going to lay that temple down, 
And uh, one day, thank God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all right, you're going to get a new body. Isn't that going to be nice? No more aches, no more pains, no more fighting sin. It's going to be awesome. All right. And, and so what the Lord is showing us here is this. This is a picture of something that's a little bit more lasting. You say, why? Because you get a new one. All right. And there was an old temple. There's a new temple uh, through, uh, uh, there. The Lord's going to uh, cleanse his temple when he comes back and cleans out what the Antichrist has done. We learned about that. And you know what the Lord's going to do when he comes back to get you? He's going to clean this up. Amen. He's going to give you a new temple. But he also likens it to a vessel. All right. Uh, you say, what's a vessel? It's something that you carry stuff in. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, there's a, a Christian contemporary group. I don't know if they still sing or not. Jars of Clay. Anybody ever heard of them? All right. So they got their name. Uh, it's, it's in a modern Bible. It's not found this way in, in your Bible. Uh, but we, we know that our body is likened to an earthen vessel. And that's where they get the idea of jars of clay. All right. Uh, look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look, if you would, at verse number 4. That every one of you... Well, go back to verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your what? That's part of God's will for your life. If you're, if you're like a lot of Christians, here's what you're wondering. God, is it your will for me to marry this person? God, is it your will for me to move here? God, is it your will for me to take this job? God, is it your will for me to have another kid? God, is your, And you're thinking about all these things. Is it God's will for all these things, right? Uh, Lord, should I move there? Lord, should I go there? And the Lord, the first thing the Lord does, I think, I, I, I have found this to be true in my life. When I go to God with some unknown, mysterious, should I do this? The Lord goes, are you doing what I've already shown you? Why should I show you something you're not ready to handle? You're not doing what I've already shown you, and you should be able to handle so God says, black and white, this is the will of God. Pay attention to that, underline it, circle it, highlight it, and, and notice that this, is, this matters to God for your life. This is God's desire for you. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, your purity, your holiness, your cleansing from the inside out, that ye should abstain from fornication. I think everybody understands what that means. That every one of you should know how to possess, what are the next two words? Here's what's interesting about that. It's God's temple, is it not? It's God's vessel. He bought you, right? But you know that what God does, he turns around and says, okay, it's mine, but I want you to operate it. Um, you might remember in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, uh, God, he gets that, that rod. You guys remember that rod, that stick there? And God says to Moses, what is that in thine hand? And Moses looks at it. I think, I think God's got to have, I, if I'm Moses, I'd look at my rod and go, what does this have anything to do with what you just talked about? You ever read your Bible and think about stuff like that in the passage? God, it's like you ever talk to your kids, and you're talking to them about something, and they go, Dad, when are we going to go to Disney World? I'm like, we're talking about cleaning out the barn. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, how does this relate at all? So Moses and God are talking. God's like, I'm, you, you know, take your shoes. You're on holy ground. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And, and then all of a sudden, the Lord talks to him and says, uh, Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses is like, what? And the Lord goes, what's that in your hand? He goes, well, it's a rod. He goes, throw it down. Throws it down. And you know the story, it becomes a serpent. And the Lord says, pick it up. Now, if I'm Moses, I'm like, how about this, Lord? Turn it back into a stick first, and I'll pick it up. <laughs> I don't like snakes, man. The only snakes I've ever met in my, in my house, we have shot, amen? You go, oh, it could have been the good kind. I don't know how to check for that, man. <laughs> I, I'm not going to get bit finding out either, all right? And, and so, you know, when my kids go, oh, we shot the wrong kind of snake. Those go after the mice. I'm like, well, the mice will live a little longer today, all right? <laughs> 
but that, that thing turns into a serpent. He, he goes, go ahead and grab it. He grabs it, and it becomes a rod again. There's a lot of lessons there. But here's what's really cool. God, when he's speaking to Moses, he says, take thy rod. And when Moses is talking about it to the people of Israel, he calls it the rod of God. You say, what is that? That's you. That's your temple. That's your tabernacle. That's your vessel. Do you realize that if you're in God's hands, he can do some great stuff with you? Some supernatural things with you? And you know what? God says, hey, it's yours. Do with it what you want. I hope you submit to me. That's your choice. But if you're smart, you go, nope, it's yours, Lord. It's yours. So the, Jesus Christ speaks of the temple of his body. And uh, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, in the New Testament, your body is likened to a temple. It's likened to a tabernacle. And it's likened to earthen vessels. All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, me and my daughter Isabella have this running joke back and forth about Sunday school. Because she sees me every week working on my Sunday school message, and she goes, Dad, why are you doing that? You're going to get through one slide, and that's it. <laughs> and, and, and I'll get through one and a half today, all right? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, look if you would at verse number 7. But we have this treasure. In what? You know who the treasure is? It's Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you. The, listen to me very carefully. The presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, inside of you. When you say, oh, I can't, this is too hard, Lord, remember, he's in you. When you say, I can't do it, he's in you. And when you say, I don't want to do it, he's in you. <laughs> we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, here's how it kind of works. Uh, go to Mark 14 real quickly. Mark 14. And some of you will remember the story, and some of you may not be familiar with it, so we're going to look at the text itself so you get the picture. But look at Mark 14. Uh, let me ask you a question. Um, the wise men, they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. When they brought those ointments and those, those fragrances, not the gold, but the frankincense and myrrh, you know they had to have it in something. It isn't like the wise men came with like oil in their hands, like, all right, Jesus, here, here you go. They, they had it in a vessel of some kind. So let me ask you a question. At what point does that vessel become of use? What do you have to do to the vessel to get something out of it? Open it, and in those times, you know how you opened it? You broke it. Now look at Mark 14. You know what every Christian wants, if they're honest? They want God's power in their life. I want God to work in my life. I want to see God do something in my life. But that comes at a price. And I would say most Christians today are discount Christians. Give me the best, cheapest deal I got to work with God, and I'll take it. They don't want to pay the full price. Uh, look at Mark 14. There's a price to it. Now, look, salvation is free. I'm going to talk about that in a moment uh, in our 11 o'clock service. Salvation is, is wonderfully and, and supernaturally free. I love that message. It'll never get old to me. I like the old song, Oh, No, the Old Story Will Never Get Old, How Jesus Died to Save My Son. I love that because it never gets old, all right? Uh, however, can I say this? The Christian life is meant to cost you something. You know how you know that? Look at church history. And I, I mean this, and I mean this graciously. Some of you would do really well. And we, adults, if we want our kids to read, they should see us reading. When's the last time they saw you reading a book and not just scrolling online and playing Candy Crush or whatever else? I'm not saying it's evil or you can't do it. But if you, go, you need to read more. Don't tell them that if you're not reading more. 
the reason why most Christians don't know about this stuff is they don't read. But if you read uh, about your history and where you come from, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, people died for what you're doing right now. People died. They gave their lives so that you can open a book and you could have this book in your possession. All right? You say, well, it cost them something. Well, salvation is free. Yeah, they were saved just like you are. But their Christian experience cost them something. Now, look, you're a 21st century American. You may not have to lay down your life for Jesus. You may just have to get made fun of at work. You may have family that, that doesn't understand your growth in Christ, and they make fun of you and ostracize you. You may have people that go, you're in a cult because you believe those, those words in that book. You, you're going to pay a price somewhere, though, if you do it the right way. The Bible says, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, look at Mark 14, Mark 14, and look, if you would, at verse number 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. Now, I, 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 one of these days, I'm going to do a study. I've never done it uh, publicly, but I've looked at it myself. There's an interesting correlation between uh, uh, the women that followed Jesus Christ and the, what they accomplished during his earthly ministry. For those of you ladies that feel like, well, I can't do this, and I'm, I'm not called to do this or whatever, you, you have a great place in the body of Christ. Never overlook that, Amen. all right? Uh, this woman did something so great that God said, wherever the message of the gospel goes, what she did for me would be memorialized. You say, what did she do? Look, if you would, at verse 3, she had an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious, and she what? What was precious was on the inside of the box. And she wants to pour it out on Jesus Christ. She wants to pour it out on his body. Who's the body of Christ today? God puts Christ in you to be a blessing to you. You understand the picture? But in order to be a blessing and get what's on the inside out, you have to learn to say, God, I'm in your hands. And if that means you break me, and there's a part of my life that I don't like, and I don't maybe understand it, and it, I'm frustrated. Lord, if that's what it takes so that I can be a blessing, can, can I say this? Very few people pray for the death of their spouse. This is not a joke. I'm being serious. Very few people pray for that. Oftentimes, when a loved one dies, uh, the one that's left behind is grieving over that one that's departed. They don't choose that. They don't choose the cancer. They don't choose, but it happens. And when the Christian lives the right way and says, God, I don't like this, and I wish I had them back, but if I can be for your honor and for your glory, do you know what that does to the body of Christ? It strengthens them. But do you realize for you to get a blessing, I, don't, I really didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do it by name. But how many of you gotten a blessing from just being around Miss Cindy? All right. You know what that means? You got a blessing out of her being broken. And you know what you say? Praise the Lord. Are you ready to be broken? Your body's a temple. Your body's a tabernacle. Your body's a vessel. And look, the Lord's not a bully. He's not like, ah, I'm going to break you. He's going to go, look, I want to use you. This is the way. You're here right now because a man named Jesus Christ was willing to be broken for you. Here, take my body, which is broken for you. You want to be used of Jesus Christ? Remember that when he speaks of the temple of his body, it's a reflection not just of him, but of those that follow him. A temple, a tabernacle, a vessel. And I'm going to say this as gracious as I can. We live in 21st century American modern Christianity where it's really just all about us. 
and I want it to be about me. And did I like the service? And did I do this? And did I, 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 me, me, me. And the Lord's going, hey, think about me and about everyone around you and the blessing, the things that I've put inside your life. Let me say it this way. Some of you have a gift for speaking with people. And some of you don't. And that's okay. Some, God may have blessed certain people with more money than others. If you got more money, you know what God expects you to do with that? To be a blessing and, be, and a gift. And I don't just mean at church. I mean be a blessing to God's people. All right? Uh, th- there are things that God's put in your life because of Jesus Christ. Listen, I can tell you right now, the family I have is not the family I grew up with. I grew up very differently than the family I have today. All right? You know why I have that family? Not because I'm something great. Because of Jesus Christ, the treasure in my vessel. All right? And God expects every once in a while for me to go, okay, Lord, if you have to break me, break me. Because I want to be used of you. So we'll close with that thought. Bella, you win today. We got through one slide. I owe you a cup of coffee. All right, let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And pray for Bella to get her heart right with God. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this morning. And thank you for the opportunity to be here and open up your words. And Lord, I pray as they come in, Lord, that uh, you administer to us. Lord, you know I had so many other things to talk about. And for whatever reason, you wanted me to park where you did. And a lot of the verses we looked at weren't in the study, weren't planned uh, God, I, I put that in your hands, and Lord, I pray that you'd use it. And Lord, if we're in the gospel of John, John until you come back, and that's what you want, I'm fine with that. Uh, Lord, I just want your people to get whatever it is you have for them. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Sunday school. Lord, thank you for people that will come, Lord, an hour before the main service. Lord, they, they don't have to do this. Lord, they're coming because they're hungry for your word, and I pray that you would have fed them this morning. And Lord, that you would minister an hour to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.